0: This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together ten disciple-making organizations, all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Lion Share with Dave Buehring and his team. Here's audio content from Lion Share and their track called The Holy Spirit, Obedience, and Transformation.
1: That each leader of this church was expected to spend time with each of these new folks, this new church launch. They were expected to give everything that they had to it. They sacrificed so much time, so much energy, so much money to see this Jesus movement spread across the region and discipling one person at a time, a few people at a time, a small group of people at a time. And so this church was experienced at their worship services, their attendance numbers grew so much that they began to outgrow the facility that they were in. And maybe you thought that I was talking about an Acts 2 church. But now God was opening up for this new young church land for them to be able to purchase to build their new facility on. So committed to making disciples, who made disciples, the church leadership, they decided they got to choose their address. Of, you know, they were, they were like the only building in the middle of nowhere on this highway and guess the address that they chose. One, two, one, two, one, Perry Highway. Because they believe so much that it should be one life to one life to one life in disciple making. And God was doing something amazing. It seemed as they got onto this brand new facility, they built a 1,200 seat sanctuary and it seemed that like the Holy Spirit was just doing an amazing thing that this was beginning to fill up time and time and time again on the weekend. And so many people were coming to the point where these guys, they, they, were, they were not sure what to do. And so many people were coming that a decision was made. That at some point we got to organize these people. We've got to somehow get a system and a process to get all of these people in. And a large shift took place in the disciple-making culture of this church. The question became, and maybe this is why you're here, how can we organize our members rather than how can we mobilize our members? And soon, disciple-making stopped being the one focus of the church And it became one of the departments of the church. And it pretty much became the staff's job at that point to teach on discipleship. And these were classes that people then would come to. And they realized after a while that soon there were many more members of their church who were consuming more than they were contributing. And who could blame them because this is how they were beginning to be discipled. So I want to welcome everybody to our session right now, Northway Christian Community, a church in disciple-making transition. Our church, it launched in 1981 with an incredible move of the Holy Spirit on nine couples. They gathered in the basement of a home and God blew it up. It was amazing to see this happen in Pittsburgh. And so many people were coming to Christ. But here's the thing, within 25 years... Our church experienced something that I don't want to see happen anymore, that when we were discipling every person who was walking into our community within 25 years, we now were seeing people who didn't even know what discipleship was. And I know that we're not alone in this journey. I know that this is happening all across the country, and that's probably the reason why you're in this session. While you see this, a church and disciple-making transition, how can we experience the same thing? And so you chose this breakout. So what happened to us? What happened to our church? I believe one of the major things is that we were trying to impact the masses without impacting the few at a time. We made a choice. What launched our church and what was growing our church was disciple-making, one, two, one, two, one, person at a time. Committed, sold-out members, giving of their resources, their time, their energy, they would help a person cross the line of faith. And that same person then, who helped that person cross the line of faith, would also be the person to grow that person into maturity of their faith until that new disciple could then turn around and begin to disciple their own friends. Now, when I came to Northway in 2007, discipleship was a department. And what most of our church knew to do, the members of our church, was this. They would invite their friends to a service, and that's a good thing, right? We all want our people to invite friends to our church services. But here's what was happening in our culture. The people who would bring their friends, and and if that friend were to say, I want to follow Christ, here's what happened. And maybe this happens in your church. They would then bring that person up to the front and introduce them to a pastor. And they'd basically say, okay, I did my job. Now here, pastor, it's time for you to do your job. And so... They wanted us to help them follow Jesus, and they were done. It was like they were out at that point. And a few of us, we began to not be okay with the fact that our church did not know how to help their friend grow in their newfound relationship with Christ. They didn't know what to do, so we began to ask some questions. Here were some of the questions. How do we intentionally disciple the 4,000 people who call Northway home when 75% of them don't even read their Bibles? How do we disciple these folks when one-third of them are constantly missing from our worship services? How do we disciple them when the majority of those who have joined our church in the last 15 years have never been discipled themselves? So how could we expect that they know how to disciple Now, they've been been to plenty of Bible studies, but they've never been taught how to obey what it is that they were studying in the Bible. So we asked some more questions. We said, what would it look like to turn our church around, to turn this Titanic back around to a making, disciple-making church once again? What would it look like for us to become a multiplying church? What, what could we do, instead of what we're doing now, what could we do to turn this Titanic back around? To not only impact our church, but to impact our community. To impact our entire city, our entire region of Pittsburgh. And the answer came through a lot of prayer. Came through a lot of meetings together. It came through some consultations with a friend named Dave Buring, founder of, of LionShare. And we became convinced of something as a church leadership. And here it is. Something that Dawson Trotman said. He said, more time with less people equals greater impact for the kingdom. More time with less people equals greater impact for the kingdom. And we began to dream. We began to dream what what could happen in our church if this vision of Jesus' model for disciple-making would catch in our church once again. To multiply His model in our church and in our city. Because you know that Jesus' vision is not about adding more disciples. It's about multiplying more disciples. And so before we get into our conversation... And we're going to have an opportunity where we can kind of share our journey with you, our struggles with you, the things that we have learned along the way. We're not doing this perfectly because we're trying to turn this Titanic back around. And we're about four years into the journey of how to take this size of a church and make it, again, a disciple-making church. And so before we get to all of that, and these guys are going to introduce themselves, I want to show you something. Because I want to dream with you for one second. I want to show you something that it's called the you and two model of discipleship that Dave introduced uh, into my heart and then we introduced it into the heart of Northway. And so let me ask you some questions. Let me begin, begin to help you dream. What would it look like for you to begin to change your community just a couple people at a time? More time with less people equals greater impact for the kingdom. What would it look like for you to change your community, just a couple people at a time? Just a couple people at a time, could you change the leadership culture, the disciple-making culture of your church? What if you started a disciple-making movement at your church, in your community, in your city, by just discipling a couple people this year? You. Just a couple. See, most people today, and we've been hearing this in our breakout sessions, most people, they want to microwave discipleship. Get as many people in the room as you can. You know, and we're going to disciple the masses all together. Let's microwave disciples. 52 times a year, let's get it done. But that's not how it works. So my question to you is, what if you started with just two? See, I want to show you the impact that could happen if, let's just say, there was 50 of us in this room. Okay, 50 of us. What if 50 of us just decided to disciple two people this year? Here's what happens. At the end of that year, you have 150 disciples. And you're like, okay, I kind of see what's going on. It's multiplication. And so let me show you what happens. If all of those 150 people... We're to decide to, okay, all hands in, let's do this together. Next year, we're at the end of our journey, we're going to disciple just two more. What if all 150 of those people said, okay, you and two. It's me and two, we're going to do this. Let me show you, at the end of year two, take a look, 450 disciples. And so you're going to see this at the end of year three, 1,350 disciples of Jesus. Take a look at this, and I'm just going to kind of blow our minds here for a second. You and two, after year four, after year five, after year nine, look at this. Almost a million people. If you just discipled two people this year, and you all turned around, and you said, we're going to disciple two more next year, that at the end of uh, almost a decade... There are a million people who've been discipled. Can you, can you realize that this is why this is Jesus' plan A? To expand His kingdom in this world. Now I'm just going gonna, gonna to stretch this out a little bit. I'm just going to blow all of our minds. This, this blew my mind when I read it in Dave's book and, and we've been teaching this. Take a look at this. At the end of two decades, if we just did this right now, 50 of us in the room, if we just did this... At the end of 20 years, look at what happens. We have discipled more people than there are on the planet. I know what some of you are saying right now. Okay, okay, Ken. Not everybody we're going to disciple is going to disciple another person. Okay? It just doesn't work that way. Okay, let's cut the number in half then. And let's look at what happens. Look at this. At the end of year 17, look at that. End of year 18, cut it in half. You still have more people that have been discipled than there are on the planet. This is Jesus' plan A. See, I want to show us that it's not the latest and the slickest marketing that's going to grow our church. It is not the, you know, the coolest worship leader with the deep V-neck t-shirt, right, and the skinny jeans that can sing a great song. It's not that. It's not adopting a model from another church. No, it's adopting the model of Jesus who made disciples, who made disciples just a couple, a few, a small group at a time. And I just want to envision you with this. This can happen in our lifetime if we just disciple a couple people at a time. It's possible we can do it. And this is what we are trying to turn the Titanic, so to speak, is what we've kind of, you know, I've termed it, is turning the Titanic of Northway back to this culture of obeying Jesus' last command to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Because God's all about multiplication in His kingdom, instead of adding. So, we're going to introduce now, uh, I want to introduce everybody to you, and and they're just going to kind of go around, and these are my friends, we've been on this disciple-making journey now as a church for about uh, four and some years, and and so I'm just going to let these guys introduce themselves and go around and, you know, maybe your role and and the things that, you know, you you do for the church or a part of the church, so we'll start over here with Scott.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm Scott Stevens. I'm the lead pastor at Northway. So I uh, came on as the lead pastor about five years ago, taking over for the founder, 30-plus um, years. Um, founder, he's the guy that started it with eight uh, eight, eight couples in a basement. And um, so I came in after that. Uh, any any lead pastors in the room? All right, awesome. Um, anybody take over for a 30-year founder? I, I don't recommend it. I just want to tell you right now. It's... it's Probably the hardest thing um, I have ever I have ever done. So, um, yeah, I was at Northway in the executive role and family ministry role um, for about nine previous years for that. So I've been there 14, but five in this lead pastor
3: role. Is it on? Okay. Um, I'm Jody Renner. I am a member at Northway. I've been there almost 22 years uh, with my husband, and I have three children, ages 15, 11, and 5 and I am a volunteer at one of our campuses and am a disciple maker there.
4: Hi, I'm uh, George Kehoe. Um, I've been in sales my whole life. I own a business. Um, I walked into Northway, became a member in 2011, and uh, entered into a discipleship relationship with Kent uh, in uh, 2012 and 13, and have been a disciple maker for the last three years.
5: Um, I'm Amanda Seidler. And I serve at Northway on staff sort of in our central support um, team and in a role that gets to oversee um, a team and counterparts on each of our five campuses, overseeing connections and discipleship for adults. So everything from small groups to discipleship, membership, baptism, hospitality, that kind of thing.
1: So this is an incredible team to be able to be a part of. And I want to give you a little bit of history to kind of set the conversation uh, of where we're going. So when I came to Northway in 2007, I was envisioned and have always been extremely passionate about making disciples. And I met a guy back in 2003, 2002, by the name of Dave Buring, that began to... Have you ever had anybody who you know something in your knower and you can't verbalize it just yet? And then you meet somebody, and they're saying the things that you're, that's what I feel. I need to get to know this person. So I got to meet Dave Buring, and he was that guy. He began to put language to some of the things that I just either intuitively was just so passionate about, and this is the way that we need to do church. And so when I came to Northway, I had spent a lot of time with Dave Buring. He discipled me. He mentored me as a young pastor in the ways of God, the character and the mission of Jesus. And I became extremely passionate about disciple-making. And so when I came to Northway, I looked and I saw, okay, we have this small groups department. We have a discipleship department. and uh, But I don't see much discipleship happening. At least I'm not hearing about it. So I just do what I always do, and I just grabbed a whole bunch of guys around me, and I said, let's journey together. And I began to see a hunger amongst the men of our church after a season of discipling just a few men. And and guys were coming to me saying, hey, when when can I get in on that? When can I sort of experience that? And, And so I began to notice all around our church that there was a hunger amongst our men for discipleship. Maybe they didn't know how to say that, but there was a hunger. So I began to say, oh my goodness, I think there's an opportunity here. And so when we first introduced the idea of disciple-making, this idea of a discipleship journey at our church, I, we sprinkled out the vision, and like that, 260 men joined the effort to be discipled. And we were like, oh my goodness. And what ended up happening is throughout the, the um, couple of years, what we saw happen in the culture of our church is that when guys realized that discipleship wasn't a class, they were like, a couple months in, they were like, uh, yeah, uh, we're, we're good. We, still, we have to do the rest of this book. You know? we have to, this, you know? And we were like, yeah, we're going to continue this for you know, a, a good year to 18 months together. And we just saw this begin to fizzle out. The second year of our discipleship, as we were continuing to walk the same guy, guys through, it cut in half, almost even more than that. And I began to, I thought I'm, I'm a failure. You know, any, anybody else out like that? You start something and it seems like the move of God, and what's going on? And, well, you're relying on other people's obedience to be a part of that as well. And, oh man, it's starting to fizzle except for the fact that we began to see that there was some hungry people that weren't fizzling out, and they were going after it. And so, in my passion to bring this disciple-making culture to Northway, I didn't really have a strategy. I didn't have like, I, bro- I was bringing all the passion, baby. I was like, we got to do this, let's take the hill. But then there was wisdom sitting to my left, and he said, Ken, 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 Ken. We we got to start this real organically, and so I'm just going to kind of share, you know, let Scott share what he did with my youthful passion and like we got to do this, and his wisdom as our lead pastor um, to say, okay, we need to back way up here, we need to start again, and so that's what I, I, you know, just want Scott. Would you just share with them kind of what you leaned into there?
2: Yeah, I think two things that sort of sparked this for me, and one, Ken sort of said it. I was sort of fatigued from standing out in the lobby on a weekend before I was going to preach and having somebody come up and introduce their friend to me that they brought this week, you know, then sort of ask their friend to step aside for a minute. And then the guy would say, hope brought you brought your A-game because, like, he, he doesn't know the Lord. And, I, you know, I need you to, I hope you, you know, so, and then, you know, so I bring my A-game that day and his friend would raise his hand and maybe accept the Lord. And then he'd come up to me afterward and say, Scott, this memory we met out in the lobby. And then, you know, hey, could you get coffee with him this week? Because he needs to, you know, we got to figure out what to do now, and and I, you know, I'd pull that guy aside. And sometimes I got to say, sometimes these were my elders, like these weren't just like you know some random guy showed up at church for a couple months. These were our elders. These are some of our core people. And I'd say, no, now you got to bring your A game. Like it's up to you to disciple that, that friend of yours, not not me. Um, that and then the other piece was this, and I just want to I want I want to try to say this clearly. I think that. Um, by the, by the grace of God, I was humble enough to listen to some really, a couple young and very talented people on our team, um, Kent and Amanda. They convinced me of the why. And then I had had a relationship with Dave. He would helped me sort of transition into this new role of lead pastor. He was sort of mentoring and giving me some counsel into it. And then, you know, obviously his disciple... Making background um, again convinced me i humbled myself because you know I'm, I'm taking over this monster of a church and i'm thinking i'm thinking all the things you think i'd be thinking we got to do unbelievable teaching series and we need bigger screens up front and we got to make sure we got the guy with the skinny jeans and all that stuff and because i don't want to see the church lose any momentum through this um but humbly i, I listened um to some young trusted folks on my team and um, a, a really dear friend and um, grasp the, the, the why and then I, I feel I'm confident enough in, in, in vision casting and, and being strategic to go, to go after the how that we were going to do this um, so I don't know how far you want me to go down but um, what, what I basically did was pulled together a group of stakeholders made up of um, some staff people, multi-generational obviously these two um, a couple elders, um, some other folks, and we spent several afternoons um, just whiteboarding. And the question that we used, I don't, you know, you can, maybe I don't know how, maybe this will help some of you, but the question we used was we said, let's pretend we're five years out and this Making Disciple Makers movement worked. Let's say that we wrote a book um, called, you know, Northways, you know, five-year Making Disciple Makers transition. We'd have to come up with a better name than that for a book. But let's say we wrote this book. What would the chapters be in the book? What would we have had to do? And we said, now, we could think of 20 chapters, but no. we we got to settle on about five or six key chapters that we're going to do and that we're going to timeline out and that we're going to make our focus to, to to begin to turn this Titanic around. You want me to go into what those were or how far you want me to roll?
1: Yeah, just go for it.
2: So, real quick, like one was foundation of prayer, right? I mean, somebody said that in the early session, the group session, right? This has to be bathed in prayer. And we went after it with intercessional prayers, our teams pray, and we just went after this movement in prayer. We wanted to define what disciple making was. So we had to come up with a really good definition of what it was so that we could explain it. Um, to people. So that was a chapter. Um, unity of vision. I really felt like this was on me. I had to get my elders, staff, core team sort of united in this vision. They, I needed them, um, to, to be excited uh, about doing this and, and grasping. A selection of tools. There's a lot of really good stuff out there. But you can't just offer like your people, here's 12 tools, pick one for, you know, what, what thing. You gotta narrow it down to a couple. Um, and so selection of tools. I'm a communication plan. So we had a massive timeline. You know, we, we weren't going to do the all skate. We weren't, we had made a decision a while ago. This wasn't going to be, I'm going to stand up in September and say from now on we are a making disciple makers church and for the next 12 weeks we're going to preach about it, and everybody's going to get a book on the way out the door and you're all going we didn't do that. We did it. We, we intentionally went at this very Organically, so the communication plan just—we're going to do a teaching series, but we're not even going to say that it's about that. We're just going to be about that, but we're not going to say that it's about that. And then we put these and calendar, calendar them out. And then I think one of the ones for us that was was sort of tough, but we had to examine and sift our current ministries. We were sort of a classic, you know, all-you-can-eat buffet church. There wasn't an idea or a program that we met that we didn't do. Um, so we had to figure out what we were going to do. And we just looked at it three simple ways. One, what were we going to bless? Because there were some great ministries already happening at the church, frankly, where were some we just didn't want to mess with. They were just sacred cows, and we just weren't going to, so bless them. Um, then secondly, what we were we going to add? Because we knew we needed to add some making disciple ministries, training, pieces like that. And then the third one, I always just called it Celebrate. And, and celebrate basically meant we needed some ministries. We were going to get the, a sheet cake and a couple of quarts of ice cream, and we were going to have a party, and we were going to kill it. Like that was it. We were going to celebrate it, but it's over. That ministry's done. It, it's, you know, it, was, it was good for a time, but it's, it's, you know, have a piece of cake. Thank you for serving. That one's um, over for now. So that, that was sort of the chapters that we put through, and then we just processed how we were, we were going to walk
1: um, through them. And I, and I think one of the most strategic things that Scott did, because we're a multi-site church in Pittsburgh, and so being a part of the original campus and seeing that now with five campuses around the region, I think one of the most strategic things that Scott did was to be able to put Amanda in her role as the director of discipleship over our entire church, all the campuses. And she's been the one who's been driving the vision and, um, you know, the mission of making disciple makers. And so, Amanda, when when you were in those early meetings, you know, what were some of those things that were you were just passion points for you? And what were some of the things that you've been driving our church to so that they can hear that?
5: Yeah, I think the neat thing for me is, right, I'm a young leader now. I've been in this role for four or five years, so I was even younger at that point. And... Um, really was just trusting the Lord as far as getting hired into this role to ensure discipleship and disciple-making on all of our campuses because I felt um, just so ill-equipped. But I think what was really neat is I remember some of those early meetings, like our very first conversation was, what has discipleship looked like in your life? And a lot of us just had really similar stories as to people pouring into our lives and that making all the difference. And so it was neat to see this team that God had brought together, that Scott had brought together, that we just sort of began exploring this vision for Northway and that we all had this common thread of I am here in this room because someone did this for me. And because, you know, I was a person who didn't grow up in the church, didn't grow up in the Christian faith at all. And my walk with the Lord really, um, really didn't begin until someone decided to walk alongside me and meet with me week to week and really teach me the foundations of the faith and um, relationally invest and pour into my life. And it sort of led to that passion. And so I think um, it was just neat to see that commonality in the room. And so we all knew if there were people who did this for me, we need to be people who do this for other people and, you know, just excited about the trajectory of our church and um, our city really being changed as a result. So I think the other thing that was um, kind of fun about those early days, and we talked about the organic nature, but we always joked around that this was like stealth mission. And I think Dave used that word with us too, that we just needed to be stealthy. We needed to be under the radar and... um, you know, a lot of us were experimenting. We kind of had this in our past, but weren't sure what this looked like in our future. So we were experimenting with um, relationships and some of those tools that we talked about. And um, that was a really neat relationship that I ended up getting to have with Jody, who attended one of our campuses, is um, just at the beginning of this, really praying through, um, okay, what does this look like to now do this with someone else and to take, Disciple making to the next level and really to make this a piece of my own personal ministry Um, And so just praying through that Jodi was one of the women that came to my mind was laid on my heart and I um, honestly was terrified to invite her into a disciple making relationship because she was a leader in our church She was a part of a small group of people who planted, you know campus number three for Northway and I felt like this young lowly staff member who was just gonna invite her in and be like, can I share my wisdom with you? Um, kind of thing. So but we framed it as this is an experiment, this is a journey that we're all going on together. Um would you walk with me through this? And um just got to personally see the fruit of investing in a few um over those next few years. So you can jump in and share a little bit of your story if yeah, you Yeah, can want I but. tell you my
3: end of it? Yeah. <clears throat> because what you didn't know back then was that I was that person that you guys were all thinking about, like sitting at Northway for 15 or so years or 16 years um, at that point and had not been discipled. I didn't even really know what that meant. Um, but as the Holy Spirit was leading you guys as leaders of my church, um, the Holy Spirit was totally transforming me um in some relationships that I was having with some moms in my community. I mean, we were getting together and praying together, and that happened for a few years. And I had such incredible transformation through those relationships that I came out of it saying, okay, I want to connect women with each other, and I want to connect them to Jesus. And those were the words I used. So down the road, you know, here's uh, Amanda giving me Dave's book called A Jesus Blueprint, and I read it, and I went, "Oh my goodness! Like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is what I want to be doing—discipling other people." I mean, I didn't even realize there was a—that's the word for what I'm feeling. Um, and I went to Kent, and I said, "I I want to do this. Like, how do I do this?" He said, "We're working on it." <laughs> I'll never forget that. Um, but that was by that by the time that you invited me into that relationship, it was like the Holy Spirit had already. Primed me, And you, you gave me that ability um, and walked me through that year-long relationship to have confidence because you showed me. Gave me an example and um, a tool that we could use that, like, just boosts my confidence level through the roof. And I knew that from that point on, like, this is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life. Like, I'm going to be discipling others around me. So... What I really want to say is thank you to to you all. I I wasn't going to say this because it would make me cry. I mean, because really, your obedience to this vision that God laid on your hearts um, transformed me. And I'm one person of like, I'm sure that happened. That's happening to many in our congregation. So,
1: yeah. And now, what's amazing about Jody is she's one of our lead disciple makers because she caught the vision. She's turning around and discipling more and more and more. Uh, one of the things that we get to host just this past uh, summer, we hosted a conference called the D4. Um, and so D4, 2 Timothy 2.2, you know, Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others, the, the four generations of disciple making. And so we had a fun picture a while ago as Dave uh, came to speak at Northway. You know, I am the second generation. So Dave, you know, D1. I'm D2. I had the opportunity to disciple George, um, D3. And now, since discipling George and God catching George, this brother is like d D6. It's amazing. The He, just business guy, the way that he's going after discipleship, he he should be on... He's like the mayor of Northway. Um, and so he. it's like everybody wants to be discipled by George. Uh, and so, George, why don't you just kind of tell us your journey, man.
4: Um, I had no idea what I was in for. <laughs> um, I uh, was a new member of Northway uh, in 2011 and heard uh, that, that there's movement about disciple-making. And I figured I, I probably should join a men's group and find out what this is all about. And... Um, I was involved in our hospitality ministry as a, as a new member and a volunteer. And, Kent, you had responsibility in that area. So I figured, I'll, I'll go to Kent. Maybe he can connect me with some guys that I have something in common with. And uh, at that point, Kent said, uh, I'm, I'm putting a group of guys together. Uh, I'd like to invite you. So I go, I'm all in. So um, we journeyed together, and each week, uh, as we met, Kent would say, who are you two, who are you two? And um, this goes back to, you know, the couple things we talked about already uh, today is uh, being humble and, and obedience. Um, I never led. I, I never discipled anyone. I had never been discipled. And as you're being discipled, you're going like, wow, when this is over, it's my responsibility to go disciple. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I could do that. And that's where the humility comes in, is that you, um, you make a decision that it's a co-mission. Right, your commission with Jesus and I felt a responsibility to that and also to Kent because he poured into me for a year and a half um, so I started just figuring, finding out who my words were big in and uh, there were a couple guys at the gym I, I mentioned that I'm you know thinking about doing this and a couple guys at the uh, um, you know at the, at the church and before I knew it um, guys were coming up to me say hey, George if you're putting a group together I want to be part of that And so my first group, I had 10. (laughs) And uh, it it was amazing to see these guys transformed. Because the key is, it's not a Bible study, as we were talking about. It's, you know, what has the Holy Spirit revealed, and what are you doing with it? Where's your obedience? So it's all about application and application. So uh, it's amazing to see the things that have happened uh, with these guys that I've had the privilege of discipling. Um, I have an employee that is a member of Northway for, like, 15 years, never been involved in any kind of men's groups, not interested. You know, he and the Lord, they're good. You know, all he needs to do is go to church on Sunday. And uh, I talked to him about discipling him, and and this is an employee. Um, And finally, after a year, he made a decision, said, okay, I want to try this. And just last week I said, Bobby, what finally convinced you to, to come on board a couple years ago? And he pointed at me, he says, you. I said, well, something I said, he goes, I saw a significant change, a major change in you. And I'll tell you, I didn't see that change, because that was the Holy Spirit because and the fruit from all the stuff that, you know, the obedience that we had. And, and how amazing that he said, the, George, you know, I'm a Christian, I've been to church every Sunday, blah, 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 but... I, I, I thought I was missing something. And whatever you had, I wanted some of that. And, wow, it just spoke volumes.
1: So there, there's this one very key um, strategic moment. And I want Scott to kind of share this. Um, because we're beginning to to talk about it more at our church. We're beginning to gain some language together, all talking about the same language. And so Scott gave me the opportunity to preach a sermon On uh, the Jesus blueprint, on the fact that we want to be a church that is, you know, discipling to the fourth generation. And so I put up a picture of the guys that I'm discipling. And I basically say, we're about to finish. So I threw their picture up on the screens and I said, so these guys are ready to disciple the next generation. Well, that's when you get, you know, guys in the lobby because George is the mayor of the lobby. And, and guys are coming up to him and saying, if you start a group, I want in. Because remember I said that point about 75% of our people who are sitting in our church, they don't even read their Bible. We had a hunger that was taking place within our church. And so I have a, there's a deep conviction that I have is that we need to disciple our church. The, those that are within our church who think they're following Jesus simply because they're sitting in a pew. And they're not. They're just discipled to attend a church service. And so you saw right away as we put the picture up there, the hunger of these guys attracted to George. But it was because of a strategic decision that you had made as lead pastor to then put some of these very strategic points along the way. Why don't you tell them what, what it is that you did?
2: So, I mean, we, we did we did that series, but then it, it was time for me then to, to take it to our elders and our staff and say, I, I, I want to strongly encourage you. Um, I, I told them that if you didn't feel comfortable maybe walking um, a couple people through the tool, then I want you to get your friend on staff, or I want you to get a couple elders. Um, I want you to... Um, you know, get a couple elders and a couple people and do this together. So there's not maybe even a leader. It's just two or three of you that work on a church staff or two or three, four elders. And you're just going to do this together. But what I want to challenge you with is when you get about halfway through it, then go back to the beginning and go get a couple people. Go get a couple other you know of your friends, uh, other folks that maybe are new to the church, and you go ahead and finish the book out with your close friend of, uh, of elders or staff. But you know, six months in or so, you start um, you start a new group. And um, okay, great, but I just you know I just have to say this: I had to do it too, right? So I mean, if it's just I've heard this now from um, a couple different folks, and I had to do it too, and. You know, I, I don't, I didn't pick another night of the week, um, that, you know, because I, I couldn't probably put another night of the week. But, you know, when I moved into the lead pastor role, one of the things that, that was sort of a, a bit of a, a bummer for me was that I lost sort of some of that connection with some of our younger leaders, some of our emerging leaders, some of our, student ministry guys, some of production and tech guys, because I just, in my new responsibilities, I couldn't get with them. And I, I have a real heart for developing um, young leaders. So I got a group of them together at lunch on Tuesday, one hour and 15 minutes. Everybody bring your own lunch, and I'm going to commit to you, and you need to commit to this group. And then I also grabbed another pastor um, that was on our team um, to sort of be an apprentice or to help me knowing that there was going to be some weeks I probably wouldn't be able to be there I was out of town or traveling and that we could make sure that one of us were walking it through and 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 we went through it um, and then the other thing just i'll just this is sad but it, it just is um, you know at that time my youngest was about twenty and we did family devotions and we prayed together and we you know we we uh, you know she she came to church. and I, But she was never discipled. And she's my daughter. And I'm the pastor to lead church. And when I really, truly grabbed a hold of what discipleship was, I hadn't done it. Um, so I walked it through with her. Um, and it, one, it was awesome for me and her. Secondly, it gave me experience with the tool to go through it, you know. Um, and, I, I, and so, like, again... This was very organic. All this stuff was just sort of going on before we really launched. And we never really have launched anything formally with the church. I mean, we've done a couple teaching series where we focused it. We've done some, some one night things where you can come and sort of practice with the tools and understand the tools and so that we can get some folks ready. But we've never really said, this is who we are as a
1: church. Um, so let's go. And I, and I like what you're saying because this is a journey that we're trying to figure out along the way and where culture meets the passion the the reality of our church meeting the um, the vision of wanting to do this and so Amanda as the head of overseeing all of our discipleship we're we're hitting some roadblocks along the way and so this is probably if if you're here you need we're hitting some major roadblocks because we're like maybe four years in to this transition and what would you say are some of the things that we're really, you know, hitting up against.
5: Yeah, I think, um, you know, we certainly um, have experienced some great things on this journey, but there have definitely been, um, I wouldn't necessarily call them failures, but experiments and things that have been um, frustrations maybe along the way. Um, So one thing in particular is... Um, You know, we had put together this team of people. Um, We called them our Making Disciple Makers Council. And part of that was really, really good, and the intentions were really good, and it was sort of representation from each of our campuses, Um, met together, shared the vision. And I think um, the frustration came, or it didn't work, in, in that... Um, recruiting people or inviting people into this that um, were just really strong leaders as opposed to people who disciple making um, had been something they experienced and was passionate about either from someone pouring that into their life or doing it themselves And so I think um, that was a frustration for us or a roadblock of Um, kind of recruiting people in that were just like, you're a stud, you should be a part of this, you know, you should be a part of this effort. Um, But yet they just didn't have this spark or passion for disciple making. Um, So that was a little bit of a frustration. And then I think, you know, Scott mentioned these one to two night, we called them making disciple makers labs. And we're not, we're still not quite sure what to do with them. But it was this idea of, you know, we have these people in our church that have been around, like a Jody for 20 some years, and they've been following the Lord for 20 some years, but they just don't necessarily have um, the envisioning and the equipping to do this. And um, sometimes that works. People come to those, they hear from someone like Jody, they receive some training. We train them in some of the tools that we recommend, um, and it works, and they go and they're off on a journey, and it's great. But a majority of the time, it just Feels like it results in some confusion and um, it just kind of falls flat. And so I think, you know, Jody and George are here as members of our church and as disciple makers in our church because people really intentionally poured into them and that um, resulted in the vision really catching and multiplying, and um, I remember one of our council meetings, Jody was joining us via video, and she had this, like, just piece of paper that showed, okay, Amanda discipled me and Rachel, and then I grabbed these three women, and now these three women have grabbed three more, and, like, over the course of three years, these, what, 12, 15 lives, um, have been through this period of accelerated transformation and now are serving the Lord in a way um, that's just insanely different from before they sort of went through this disciple-making experience. And so um, it's really hard, I think, to recognize as as church staff, especially as, as people who... Um, want to see things happen quickly and think strategically and think in systems and processes and like, okay, let's roll this out, let's get this done. It's really hard um, to kind of come to terms with the fact that it takes three to four years to result in those 15 lives changed, but that's just from one path. Um, And so we have multiple of those paths going out. And so I think just to be... um, I think the frustration comes and the roadblocks come in trying to mass produce this as opposed to really laying the foundation and the groundwork and just doing it relationally and um, watching the Lord work through that.
1: And I think one of the things that we are up against that we you know, are hoping to even grab some time while we're here is to talk about for some reason at our church, and maybe you experience this as well, um, small groups... Have become about community in our church. It's all just like let's let's do something together. Let's eat around the table. That's not bad, right? That's that's good. That's Christian fellowship, and and, uh, and then all of a sudden, when we begin to talk about disciple making, they're like, oh, that's for like the really serious people. Mm-hmm. And we're at a crossroads right now. I Feel like we're starting to bump up against the language of that doesn't need to be you know separate small group and discipleship should be together. That's what small groups can and should be. And and how are we going to make this happen uh, moving forward? So you can see that we are in transition. And so uh, I want to give some time for you uh, to be able to maybe ask us some questions. We got, you know, members of our church, you know, who are like our super members and they're they're doing this they're they are third and fourth generation disciple makers uh, at this point you have a lead pastor you have you know staff here dave is also here can answer some questions uh for you but any questions that that you might have maybe we'll pass a mic uh, around just in case uh, so we can all hear the question but any q and a that you wanted to ask us
6: When we are both
3: babies.
6: <laughs> I have no questions. I'm going to tell you all what to do. Since you don't really know. No, I'm kidding. No, I actually would like to ask you as the lead pastor how you deal with the slow turn, the criticism of people saying, we need to be a discipleship church. You need to be discipling people. And also how to maintain that thinking small and slow because we are so conditioned to you know we have a plan by january to to start discipleship and finish by the end of the year (laughs) and no that's not real but in our hearts we feel like we've got to answer the criticisms and the drama that people are begging for discipleship it's like just read your bible so that frustration of a lead pastor who wants to meet all those expectations and hunger and desire but that it is such a slow and small process and the frustration you're hearing um, that I totally get and feel how as a lead pastor. And also, I just want to mention before you answer that, if you can remember that question, is I just want to share what a blessing it was. The moment you honored your lead pastor, it validated everything you were about to say. Because before that, I was like, hmm can't really hear anything you're saying right now because i don't know if he's on board because he looks tired and not that you don't look great
1: but then you said you were tired we've been awake since like two okay so it's all real
6: but then when you when it came because i'm like "Uh uh-oh this pastor's on the end they're ignoring him and it's all going to go down from here no but then when you then in turn honored all of them and you yourself were doing it too and admitted, you know, you're all saying we don't really know how to do this, but we're doing our best. So just to say how important that to me was that you honored him. I was like, okay, now I'm all ears. And then you honored them back. And then that made me go, okay, I'm going to listen to everybody and what they're going to say right now. Because my heart was all hard before that. <laughs> I'm just kidding.
2: Nice. I'm not, I forget most of the earlier part of your question. uh <laughs> because I'm exhausted. I've been up since 2.30 this morning <laughs> flying in here from Pittsburgh. Now, um, one thing, I think the real quick blunt answer is I'm a very patient person and I very, very much feel like that I'm led by the Holy Spirit. And if I'm not being nudged by the Holy Spirit to push this thing um, further, faster, then I'm really comfortable when I find peace in that. And I haven't felt the Spirit, you know, telling me to turn the flame up here on this program I, I also took and it's not a program in this journey um, I also took over for a very entrepreneurial pastor which is incredible like right to birth a church like that you need a pioneer and and our senior our founding pastor was your classic pioneer um, and, and you need that I am much more of an establisher sort of that second phase you know I really feel like my role is to put in Policies and procedures and systems and processes, things that the pioneer doesn't really think of, of doing. So I think that this season just really meshed well with my personality. My hope is to hand it off at some point to a multiplier. To to the to the person that will do you know and this is Dave Bering's material by the way that I'm saying right here because he taught me this so it's you know there's pioneering phase there's an establishing phase and and then you hope you get to this multiplication phase Um, so I feel like I'm the guy that's supposed to be in this role in this gap from the founder only senior pastor ever on to then whoever is going to take us into the to the next phase so um, I'm just I'm really comfortable. With a nice, slow, um, steady, you know, the stove is just in a nice temperature. Um, does that sort of get at what you were saying? Yeah, good. That was a great question. Thank you for noticing that. I, I had the pleasure of, um, being a little bit of a mentor in Kent's life when he was in college, um, and sort of just came out of college, first job. I was running a youth ministry and, um, And so he reached out to me, and I loved um, getting to know him back then. And then when when he moved away, when a role opened up, um, this was inviting my friend, you know, would you come and and journey with me. So we go back um, quite a while. So I think there's a real mutual love and, and respect for one another that I hope came out.
7: First of all, appreciate your your transparency. It helps us an incredible amount. Kent, you did a great job of of describing what I think a lot of us feel like with our church regarding the amount of people that participate in different things. And I just want all of you or or any of you to speak to the challenges that you've had in pastoring two churches at once. You know, you've got the the church you have or the one that you inherited that's the typical culturally American church that you described. And then you're trying to pastor the church you want. And you're kind of in the middle of those two, you know, with using the wisdom and the passion the best that you can. But uh, what have been some of the challenges of trying to um, move the mentality of your people from that more of the, I think I'm doing fine because I'm here and because I'm tithing or because I'm doing all of that. You're redefining what following jesus really means and so we're in the middle of that we've got buildings to pay for staff to keep employed and you've got all of these things you don't want your people to just be um you know just to come just to be consumers you're trying to place enough heat to create some of that challenge but not so much heat that you burn them up have you found any kind of a sweet spot or anything in particular at pittsburgh that's worked well in trying to balance those two
2: I've got one response, and then just one thing that I do in my lead role that is, you know, we, we haven't just stopped doing everything else. Like, right? I mean, we're we're about to launch our our sixth campus. We're I'm in the process of sort of rolling that out, announcement-wise, right now. We've had some other really big missional initiatives take place. We shifted our mission focus to this whole. Orphan and adoption and, and, you know, where we sort of had this shotgun approach to to global mission. We really focused it down to church planning. But what I've done is each time I've launched a new initiative or got the church rallied up or excited about something, I continue to come back to the making disciple makers vision. Hey, folks, if we're going to launch this sixth campus, I need about 250 of you to get up out of the, 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 the room you're in. But here's what I need you to be discipled. Because I need Disciple Makers when we go launch this new church because we are a making Disciple Makers church, right, Northway? So it's that constantly you know, sort of expressing and either recasting or continuing to cast the vision as we go about doing things. I mean, we, we've got some great stuff happening, but I always just keep coming back. On the day that I took over as, as lead pastor and there was a formal thing on the platform, I said the four or five things that i wanted to, to process through and one of them was making disciple makers and i just continually remind our, our people of it consistently
3: Who else yeah i think that's really important i mean like I, I feel like i need that from you all to hear that because i know there were times in the last few years where i'd be like they haven't really talked about discipleship much like i haven't heard it like what's everything what what's going on I mean, it's just that encouragement that I think people need from you all and, you know, locking arms with other disciple-makers and just, you know, I just think because it's that slow process that we need that encouragement from you
1: all. I think, I think one of the things for me that I, I'm learning that it's a, the constant vision drip with leaders and so we're still at that phase where I think, you know, we're, we're still envisioning the leadership of our church. And so, you know, if, if I'm real, just open and honest with you, I had an elders meeting probably four months ago where, you know, I brought up discipleship. And I guys, are you discipling? And, and one of the things. Yeah, I'm doing this ministry. I'm like, that's wait, that's not discipleship. And it, we got into a massive conversation about and I was like, my elders completely forgot what discipleship was. So I'm back at square one with my elders again. And another uh, move that I made while, you know, that's the leadership of our churches. Now, in these open positions that I have the opportunity uh, to hire, I'm asking the question, tell me about discipleship in your life. Have you ever been discipled? What does that look like? Explain that to me. And wh- who are you discipling currently, right now? So I'm beginning to hire disciple makers that's really important to me so in in the leadership i'm i'm beginning to be able to see the change in our culture of hungry staff and and elders who i'm watching some elders kind of get it and the other guys are going like what's he what's he got going on over there oh my i want in on that so it's it's that constant vision drip for me and we're i mean we're still teaching series we're still i mean we we have a we have a lot to do uh, still, and and slowly, steadily, and I love his approach. But might you can see how my passion—like he's like, relax. Um, it, he helps me tremendously to see. Okay, and Dave, this is a line that Dave said: you've got to you've got to begin to lead with a decade in mind, and that's really hard uh, to do. And we're only in like year four, and but here's the encouragement for me. Is that there's not a day that goes by now that as we've begun to roll this out with the hungry of heart, that I don't see in a Starbucks, in a Panera, in the atrium of my particular campus, that this isn't happening?
2: This, uh, this happened to me. We have a campus, one of our campuses in Oakland, um, Pittsburgh part of it. it's It's got a lot of colleges and universities. You know, Pitt's there, Duquesne's there, um, CMU's there. But one day I was down there having a coffee with somebody, and I'm literally. Having a coffee, and I look in the back of there, and there's somebody I do not know, but obviously they go to Northway, they got our tool, Dave's tool that we've been using in front, and they're talking to two, so it's a gal, with two, two, two gals, and she's, she's going through it. I get up out of that meeting, I'm walking down towards where our, where that campus is at, where that church is at, and I go by another coffee shop at Starbucks, and in there is one of our staff people, and they've got two, and the books are out again, and, and, that's to me like it, it's just it's just going to happen that way. It just, it just and then when I got back, I mean seriously, because I told this story, but when I got back to the church, one of the guys on staff had three or four guys in his office with the books out, and he was going through it. And it just all of a sudden I said, okay, I don't even know any of that that's going on, but it's happening.
1: What you were the the Jim Collins flywheel. Yeah. You know, getting that, that thing.
2: flywheel a good to great comment, right? You know, you got to push that flywheel. It takes a long, hard push for a while. But once you get it going, then it
1: so I want to I want to respect your time here um, and we're we're almost done. But something that we love to do around uh, Lion Share, uh, which is the organization that that Dave leads and something that we're uh, implementing at our church when we are in any type of service or small group or anything like this. Um, I just want to leave you with two questions to consider. And so these are the questions that we feel that in the process of transformation, because as we want to see our churches, as we want to see our cities, as we want to, we want to see them transformed, that can only happen by God doing that. And when God reveals something, the process of transformation, when, when He reveals when he opens up and we see something anew for the first time, we have a job to do and we're meant to obey it. So my question to you is, is this as we end. So in this process of what has God you know, revealed to you? What has the Holy Spirit revealed to you in this particular session? And then the question of obedience, because that's the engine of transformation, is how are you going to obey this in your life? So what's the one thing that maybe you're hearing a theme today? that the Holy Spirit's beginning to weave into your heart and you've been writing down notes and you're beginning to see a pattern. What's the Holy Spirit revealing to you today that you're supposed to obey? And when you obey, that's going to lead to transformation, not only in your life, but through your life as well. So that's one of the things that I just want to leave you with today. Thank you for joining us as we uh, you know, kind of shared our you know, story, our mess ups, our misses, our, some of our successes along the way. Thank you so much. And, uh, we'll be around if you want to ask any more questions, Dave and the team over here, uh, is around as well. So thank you everybody. God bless. Have a great night.
0: You've been listening to the disciple makers podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.